Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kuninagel podcast series, Shipping Insights. I'm your host, Sarah Vollmer, Vice President of Global Sea Logistics Customer Engagement and Events at Kuninagel. You and I are about to embark on an exciting journey through the world of sea freight. I've been fortunate enough to have a front row seat to this industry's ups and downs over the past two decades. Now it's my pleasure to bring to you the latest developments, innovations, and solutions in this dynamic industry. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just curious about logistics, get ready for enlightening conversations and expert insights in our latest episode. Let's dive into the fascinating world of sea freight together and welcome our latest guest. Today's topic, we are tackling sea freight trade insights, uncertainty in the container shipping industry. Wow, that's a mouthful. But I think this is going to be a very interesting topic for our listeners. With me today, my special guest is Paolo Mentrone, Global Head of Trade for Cuninagel. Paolo, welcome to our show. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Absolutely. So it's a pleasure to have you. But before we jump right in, because you know we love to just jump right in and get to these fun topics, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background with our audience? Sure. Uh, as you stated, my name is Paolo Montrone. I'm uh, Italian-born, uh, naturalized American, and uh, I lived for about 20 years in the United States. I'm currently residing in uh, Switzerland. I work out our Schindelegi headquarters. And I joined Kurenagel only 32 years ago. Only. And okay. uh, in, uh, in New York, so I'm still a junior. And uh, in various roles, various management roles, I managed uh, regions in, uh, in Europe, in Asia, in the United States, uh, and, uh, and, and stationed in Singapore, in Paris, uh, uh, of course, in New York uh, for several years, and uh, in Hamburg, uh, and now most recently, uh, out of uh, Schindelegi, and I live uh, in Zurich with my wife, and my daughter just moved to London in college. So, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's been quite uh, uh, interesting 32 years in the organization, and uh, I now run uh, Global Trades, uh, so I'm responsible for uh, the trade negotiations with carriers, all the contracting in terms of space and pricing with our uh, carrier partners, uh, in Europe uh, and uh, around the world. Okay. Well, you are a true global citizen, that's for sure. So let's talk about these trades. I mean, in, in the market in general, I mean, wow, what a what a roller coaster few years it has been here within the industry. Would you mind sharing with us some of the the, the trends that you have seen within the trade industry? Of course, I think let's put things in perspective. Uh, 35 years ago, there were a lot of carriers, but many carriers were uh, regional carrier, niche carrier, national carriers, very much focused on uh, a specific trade, a specific country pair, a specific region pair, uh, providing what we would define today uh, boutique service uh, at a quite high level of quality, I must say, compared to where we are today. Um, we have seen in the last years uh, a major consolidation of carriers, 
during the financial crisis, um, there were between 20 to 30 carriers globally, of which probably you could say 15 or 20 were quote-unquote global carriers. Um, we are now at the state of where we have basically uh, eight carriers, of which six quite large, and plus two and three uh, a little smaller, a little more niche carriers, which control roughly 95% of uh, global capacity. Uh, so that the industry has uh, had a tremendous change uh, in terms of consolidation. So this is, this is, I think, one thing that people and everyone that uh, deals in container shipping has to constantly be reminded. It's uh, We're dealing with uh, basically six to eight uh, carriers, eight entities organized in three very large uh, and powerful alliances. On one hand, this has enabled the carriers to manage the services better, to deploy uh, bigger ships, more efficient, uh, more sustainable um, uh, vessels uh, in terms of CO2 emissions per TU uh, that we never had uh, before. So that has been quite a, quite an amazing uh, advancement in, in, in global trade. At the same time, of course, uh, the, the, the choice uh, of carriers and choice of alliances has, uh, is somewhat reduced to what it was uh, many years ago. Right. I was going to ask you that, right? So I'm thinking I'm putting my shipper hat on right now. So you hear 20 plus to maybe six to eight, you know, it's, it's a little slim pickings, as we would say, right? You, you don't really have that many options. So maybe great from a carrier point of view, but maybe not as advantageous from a shipper point of view. Look, at the end, um, if we look at the, what shippers uh, and uh, and um, users uh, of container shipping have been paying for the services uh, over the last 30 years, it has been extremely volatile in all trades. It was volatile when there were a lot of carriers and a lot of competition. Uh, it's been volatile um, all the way up to now um, because it is, at the end, a supply-demand-driven uh, uh, market. Uh, we also have to put in perspective that uh, a lot of carriers and the industry did not provide uh, very interesting return on investments for anybody who have invested uh, until the recent. Uh, and that's why I tried to put this in perspective with the past, because we are living now since two years in a very, very different world when it comes from uh, in terms of, terms of pricing services. That uh, that uh, the whole in, the whole infrastructure is uh, is offering. We think too much about the carriers, the vessel, the capacity, and maybe not enough about the overall infrastructure, the port, terminal, rail, uh, including. Uh, and let's put our ship again, also a shippers hat here, including the ability of shippers, importers, exporters to deal with the their side of the logistics, which is the loading of the containers, the delivering to the terminal, the very importantly the unloading in time of the container, the picking up of the boxes from the from the port, unload, return the empty container to the terminal. This basically whole end-to-end cycle uh, has a lot of uh, of gaps that needs to be worked on and fixed. Digitalization did quite a lot, and we can speak about it later. But uh, but clearly, there are still a lot of challenges in uh, making sure that this end-to-end cycle is efficient for all parties. Because um, mm-hmm. an efficient an inefficiency for a carrier will lead to 
an inefficiency for a 3PL like us will lead to an inefficiency for for, for a shipper, for a consignee, for the, the end consumer. So um, you have to iron out the inefficiencies as a whole in order for everybody to benefit. Yeah, it's definitely a slippery slope of, you know, of a topic, right, of, of challenges that can happen. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. How is this going to be solved? Who can solve it? It's, it's definitely not one person, but, um, you know, it's going to take quite a few folks here in order to work through some of these challenges because there's so many different um, aspects within a supply chain of touch points uh, and where opportunities for things to, you know, maybe go wrong. So it's, it's not an easy thing. I mean, what would be, what would be your first reaction is to if someone asked you, Paolo, you know, well, how do you fix it? So first of all, I think um, it's important to understand that what has happened over the last uh, two years during the COVID crisis and uh, overall this total different environment we are living in container shipping is very unique and it has brought container shipping at much higher level of attention everywhere from the public to the mainstream media and so on and so forth. Uh, which has never been uh, in the last 30 years. Container shipping uh, and supply chain powered globalization over the last uh, 30 years, but it was a silent uh, okay, a, a silent actor. Um, right. I always make fun. Uh, finally, uh, my friends know what I do, uh, and they only know what I do. Uh, you see... I feel the same way. When my 84-year-old father actually understands my job now, it's 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 okay. <laughs> exactly. This is this is this is the point. Finally people called me and said, "You know, Paolo, I know you. We were in high school together and you explained me many times what you do, but finally I now really get it. I saw uh, what has happened in the Suez Canal and I see and I hear about inflation and I see this in the mainstream uh, media when I when I when I in the evening and I have uh, uh, dinner and I watch and I watch the news and I, I can see container ships and finally I I, I really get it and uh, and I think that this is um, you asked me what do I start from here I think that uh, uh, knowing where we stand and understanding the importance that uh, overall a, a and I said I call it container shipping but I call it let's say a supply chain infrastructure um, for the world to trade uh, in in an efficient manner it's uh, it's of everyone's uh, at importance is important for for the single consumers important for governments if important for countries um, this has uh, as the stakeholder are are many uh, so the understanding how this is important is a first step. I think that the world has uh, finally, uh, you know, uh, basically discovered that uh, container shipping has been a silent actor, and uh, but a very important actor. And now it's broken. Oh, I like that. A silent actor, but a very important actor. That's a good one. But the problem is that this, uh, this, uh, this silent actor is limping. And uh, and that's a problem, uh, and uh, and this is something that we need to fix. And there is not silver bullet. It's uh, the realization that something needs to be done at many many different levels. Uh, there's not one party that has a monopoly on the solution. Uh, everybody has to cooperate in order to make it uh, to make it better. And uh, for sure, 
you know, carriers. Uh, maybe you can have been arguably uh, have invested a lot in, in, in the ship system. Uh, in many cases, uh, in other part of the supply chain, uh, these investments have not been replicated. Um, the, 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 the challenges that, for example, uh, uh, truck drivers have uh, specifically, but not only in the United States or in North America in general, uh, are, are great. Uh, this is something that uh, needs to be taken uh, at heart. Uh, we cannot think that there's all category of uh, uh, millions of workers that are working in a in not really great conditions. Uh, at the same time, not uh, having a proper a proper yield out of their profession, uh, and that's why, specifically in the United States, but again, not only they walked away from the profession, creating a major lack uh, of uh, of capacity. So I think that, that we all have to be sensible as to uh, as to where the right balance is going to be. And uh, I also think market forces will somehow lead to the right balance, but there are things that can be done. And uh, and the, one of the key thing is for everyone, everybody that contributes uh, uh, into supply chains to be responsible and understand that this is... Uh, a way to cooperate together. There is not one single partner, even a very large carrier or a leading NVO uh, like Kuhn and Nagel can be the one with a single solution with a silver bullet. They can make, uh, they can provide a, a golden star service and fix all the problems. It is, it is a chain of event to move a box from the origin to a final destination. And, uh, and uh, each single touch point uh, is under the ownership of different providers, uh, being asset uh, or, or, or non-asset based companies, mm-hmm. uh, including government agencies for customs clearance, etc. And in all these touch points and all these processes, something not only can go wrong, but constantly goes wrong uh, or it does not go as planned. So the proper flow is never a proper uh, planned flow. There's always something. It's always an exception, constant expe- exception management. And uh, and that's where we need to focus. There's no perfect shipment. That's for no, sure. Not at all. No. But so you you, t- you touched on something and, and I want to maybe see if you'll expand on it a little bit. You mentioned the word partner, right? And, and in your opinion, what is the value of, of partnerships and relationships here within this industry? And, and how does it affect in, in terms of the trade and, and container shipping? Look, partnership in business is uh, very often uh, misused okay. uh, because to, it's a misused word because very often it's, uh, it's uh, uh, you know, there's a buyer and a seller, uh, can be a product, can be a service, and there's always the, the idea that one has to win and the other has to lose. Um, I believe that, uh, that uh, in order to create a, a strong partnership, uh, first of all, there must be a good respect of uh, the partners, the organizations that are entering uh, some sort of agreement, a respect of the fact that uh, that uh, this uh, this business is driven by people. So there are people behind. These are not just machines or 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 or, or balance sheets uh, talking to each other, but there are there are people, there are emotions, there are there are people and passions that are driving uh, the result of a business partnership. If both parties enter uh, with uh, full respect, good understanding that uh, that uh, 
that this balance that there must be a balance to 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 be to be to to be put in place between between organization i think that's already a good point and a good starting point and then of course it's uh, it's uh, always having the right balance between uh, what you can get what you can give and assuring that uh, that uh, you you strive for a long term partnership you know a transactional partnership that you say it, it, it there's no such thing and i think i think that uh, this crisis has proven that uh, long term partnership uh, people that had long term partnership and they really meant it they had uh, a much much bigger advantage than uh, who played uh, the market uh, transactionally right transactional players yeah yep i agree with you okay so there are definitely some some hot topics also you know within the industry today i mean we covered of course a little bit of the past we covered congestion you know a lot of the things that we've been as an industry right or even as as the world have been struggling with for the past few years um, there's one topic that I would love to get your perspective on, and that's the topic of IMO. Um, I know it's it's ever evolving and even changing on a weekly basis, but um, I think our listeners would like to hear kind of your thoughts on it and, you know, where are we at? Where is it going? Um, so especially our shipper listeners out there can start to get prepared. So first of all, I think it's uh, uh, the good news. Let's start with the good news. The good okay. news is that, uh, is that uh, IMO governments uh, and overall there is uh, uh, much more attention to sustainability in shipping than it has ever been uh, therefore i think that we are uh, we will have uh, in few years to come but we will have the most sustainable uh, fleet uh, out there uh, the reduction on co2 emission per tu will be will be great compared to what it was uh, just 5 years ago for example Therefore, I think that, uh, that that's a good news. The good news is uh, we are getting our planet greener, maybe not as fast as many would like, me included, but definitely we are on the right, uh, on the right path. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of actions uh, towards uh, cleaning up uh, container shipping in terms of CO2 emissions. Uh, the new regulations that are not finalized by IMO are going in this direction. And uh, whenever you will have regulation and new ways uh, of uh, deploying capacity and, and new rules on how, what kind of capacity, what kind of ships, what kind of vessels, uh, what kind of emissions are allowed, etc., this will create some constraints to the uh, asset players, uh, mainly to the carriers, which uh, they will revise their fleet. Uh, some category, some size of vessels will become uh, obsolete uh, faster than maybe uh foreseen uh, in just just uh, just few years ago right. um, so maybe scrapping will increase uh, maybe new builds uh, especially on certain class vessels between probably thousand to four thousand to use um, uh, today the fleet is quite old and uh, with the new IMO regulation and again the regulation is not yet uh, official and fixed so the the, the, the there's no clarity exactly how it will impact certain size, but we can envision that uh, specifically a certain uh, you know, older ships and uh, and 1,000 to 4,000 TUs especially will have, uh, which are mostly older, uh, and the older book is quite slim on those on those categories, um, will be a challenge. Therefore, the carriers will have to reinvent their networks. Uh, of course, some of some of the 
of of, of the fuels will be will be changed. Uh, biofuel will become uh, will become more important uh, in the shipping industry. Uh, uh, the qu- the question is: Is there enough biofuel? And uh, um, even if there is, of course, demand will will increase. And when demand will increase, also the cost of biofuel will increase. Uh, we have we have of course uh, methanol, etc., etc. And um, what does it mean for the shipper? Because I think that who's listening to this is say, okay, all beautiful things, uh, technical stuff. But in reality, what does it mean? This means that uh, uh, carriers will redesign their network, uh, which means that uh, transit time may become longer. Maybe what is today served uh, on a direct port, uh, it may not be served as direct anymore. Maybe uh, some feedering um, or some outports. Uh, uh, and and uh, relay services will change rotation okay. uh, because of the vessel networks and which will create maybe there will not be weekly anymore it will be bi-weekly so this all this uh, will impact lead time because that's the whole thing lead time and possibly reliability of uh, of the services and uh, it's way too soon to to envision how this will look but i think that uh, we will see the impact right so the lead time impact is is definitely going to be you know quite a significant impact i think for a lot of shippers out there what about cost do you feel that there's going to be some cost impacts as well yes i always say that especially in the beginning uh, sustainability will not come for free there will be costs. Uh, this additional being the additional cost of uh, biofuel, uh, being the fact that uh, these older ships will be scrapped and new ships will be ordered, uh, possibly in some, again, as I said, there are some categories of, uh, of vessels which are, the order books are very thin. Right. Therefore, the, char- the charter rates uh, on, those, uh, on those vessels, the newer ones, uh, will probably increase. Uh, therefore, likely this will cost more money to the carriers to operate and they will pass on the cost to the user of the container shipping, like us and, of course, the final customer. Right. Okay. All right. So I know we're getting a little low on time and, you know, I always like to get to forward looking questions here be- before we before we end. Um, and. You know, I've, I hopefully we can have some more good news from Paolo. Um, so I feel we've we've gone a little we've gone a little negative here um, or doom and gloom a little bit here. Uh, but let's let me ask you this. You know, what is the what does the future hold? So, you know, what can what can shippers, what can partners, what can everyone kind of look forward to, you know, here in the next year and from your perspective? Well, so from a from a I think I. Yes, it's not doom and gloom. As I said, <laughs> it's uh, all this is actually to uh, to to create uh, the, the IMO and all the changes uh, in, in shipping in terms of uh, uh, creating a an industry which is much more uh, environmental uh, environmentally sustainable. I think this is all very good news. I think that uh, everyone that is trading uh, on the world oceans uh, will realize that uh, that. Uh, um, the impact of, 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 of its activities uh, uh, is becoming by the day more sustainable. And I think that this is great news for the planet, great news for for our kids, uh, great news for the next generations. We are definitely not there where we should be and could be, but at least uh, we, we can see there is a, uh, there are major steps forwards uh, being taken. And that's, I think, very good news. Uh, when it comes to the to the pricing, to the cost of container shipping, we have seen that uh, 
that uh, that uh, today's uh, uh, pricing level uh, are the highest that I ever seen in 35 years and uh, everyone that has been in this business uh, will, will tell you and they're not just a little bit high they are by far uh, on one hand uh, I believe that there would be a, some sort of realignment uh, as soon as uh, maybe the demand will not uh, outpace uh, supply uh, the way that uh, that is has happened over the last uh, let's say 18 to 24 months mm-hmm. and uh, there may be some sort of realignment on the other hand probably there would be a, a slight adjustment downwards uh, we've seen already in the last uh, uh, few days here and there on a transactional level but I also think there would be a different way of contracting and I think that that's the positive side I think that uh, if you are a a client that has uh, this trading globally and you have a global supply chain or you depend on a specific, I call it a floating bridge from, say, China to the United States, for example, from China to Europe, from Vietnam to Europe, or doesn't matter, um, to enter more stable pricing agreements. Uh, we have seen uh, uh, today we have so many contracts, uh, two, three-year, four-year contracts with, uh, with clients uh, at uh, stable pricing. Uh, so therefore, Client can finally budget. You take out this volatility uh, uh, impact, uh, and uh, this is so. I think that that's that's a good part. Still, the service level uh, and reliability of the whole system is by far not where uh, it should be. Uh, and and I think that in the next uh, years, uh, that's where a lot of focus will be because I think that the pricing will not decrease. And I think that uh, everyone has to realize that container shipping is now not cheap. In the past, it was cheap. That's why, I mean, partly we can argue it was also subsidized uh, artificially by the carriers who, uh, in their quest for competing and gaining market share, they lowered the prices and they did not, re- they not produce any return of investments for the shareholder. This has changed. Uh, I don't think that we will see uh, the market to be, to get into a fight for market share by any of these carriers. But again, I can be proven wrong. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think that, uh, that again, container shipping now is no more uh, what it used to be and it's no longer cheap. It is a, a big line item cost in uh, most shipper, uh, most shippers' uh, balance sheet. Yep. And therefore, I think it's uh, the level of investment that everybody has to do, including shippers, including importers, exporters, government, into, into uh, the whole infrastructure is, uh, is much greater uh, than it was in the past because we are paying a lot for bad service. Let's put it very bluntly out there. Uh, therefore, I think we likely will continue to pay quite a lot, but at least we have to make sure that what we get is something good. Right. And that's, uh, and that is everyone has to do its part. This is not just blaming a carrier or blaming a 3PL or a shipper. It's, uh, it's a coordinated effort to, to get this whole system, this whole shipping ecosystem to function better, leverage some technology that is out there. I don't think technology alone will fix it, but technology will be an instrument to fix it together with the people. And then eventually we'll get something, something good out of it. So I, I'm positive for the future. I think that uh, um, I don't believe, again, purely on, on, on a cheap pricing, they will come back. I think the pricing will stay at a certain level for the service. Uh, at the same time, I think also that in the next uh, years, the service levels, the uh, reliability will uh, will improve, but it will be very painful and there will be a lot of hard work 
by everyone. And that's, I stress everyone because it is not about one party. Uh, today we have a huge issue in the United States of containers sitting at the terminals because, uh, imported distribution centers cannot receive, cannot unload the containers. Right. And in many cases, our customers are telling us we cannot find people to work in the, our warehouses to unload containers. Therefore, the container sits at the terminal. These containers don't go back to Asia. And then in Asia, you don't have containers, empty equipment to load. And we cannot tell carrier all the time, yeah, just build more equipment, build more equipment. And they are building more equipment. Actually, container, container there's been quite a lot of uh, orders uh, of, uh, of containers, uh, empty equipment uh, in the past, but you cannot, uh, you have to get this more efficient. And everybody has to do its part. It's a lot of work. Yep, it definitely will be. So, you know, you've heard it here first. It's, it's not, there's no magic bullet. It is a lot of work. Partnerships do play a role. And everybody is going to have to pitch in here in order for, you know, for us to all realize some some positive changes here or strides, shall I say, within the, within the end-to-end supply chain network here in the future. Okay, Paolo, one more final question. What's one piece of advice you would offer to our listeners right now based on our conversation today? Redundancy. That's a okay. magic word. In today's world, it's redundancy. Um, in today's world, uh, it's, it's one of the key things is, uh, is I think we touched uh, the partnership topic, but uh, when it comes to, 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 to run a complex, uh, very complex, sophisticated or less complex, simple supply chain, it does not matter, is uh, to have viable options because your number one option will let you down. Your number two option will let you down one day, likely soon, probably also the third. Right. So to have redundancy is the key. Uh, when I look, uh, and I had this question all the time, when I look at, uh, at uh, where we perform better with our clients, where or clients that perform better, supply chains that perform better, mm-hmm. are the ones that have been uh, designed uh, from the ground up uh, with a lot of redundancies, with with consistent, with, with planned redundancy, not just transactional redundancy. Oh my God, something went bad to my number one. What do I do to to fix the number two? But and and when we do this, this these supply chains did perform better. They they were not trouble free at all. Of course, I will not, uh, but they performed overall better. And uh, we also. Uh, I like to use a phrase, it's not mine, but uh, uh, that in today's world, and I think this has been like this for years, very often we look at customers competing. In reality, a lot has to do about supply chains competing because too often producers, manufacturers, uh, the, 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 the buying, the being raw material, being production countries are more or less the same, but the, the ones that can envision and deploy and execute Better supply chains, it's a key strategic winning role to grow their market share and also customer satisfaction as well as probably yield. Uh, therefore, it's it, it's a key thing to, to build supply chains which are strong, robust, and to do this is to create and to build redundancy. This is why the first thing that uh, when I discuss with clients uh, is uh, let's, let's really analyze uh, how you get it 
from point A to point B, what are the requirements uh, and so on and so forth. Yes, there is a price tag. Redundancy, build redundancies is not cheap. That's number one. But in today's world, what is cheaper is to miss sales because your product, uh, your inventory is not where it should be, or maybe having some good redundancies which allowed you to have your products where they need to be to be sold. So that's the key question that uh, that uh, a shipper, uh, an importer, exporter has to has to ask itself, and we try to consult them with providing the best quality slash price level opportunities that are out there, keeping in mind always to fulfill the best level of reliability, which is probably not what everybody would wish because it is still complicated and it still would not be perfect, but that's uh, the redundancy is the key thing. So I hope I answered your your question. You did. Thank you very much. And I'm sure our, our listeners will thank you as well. Well, Paolo, thank you so much for coming on to our show today and talking about you know the sea freight trade industry and insights. I think it's it's been rather enlightening here. So thank you again for for spending some time with us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and uh, looking forward to the next one. Maybe with a nice uh, update and more details on the the impact of the new IMO regulations. Absolutely. I I think we'll definitely have a follow-up here. So thank you for tuning in to Kundanago's podcast series, Shipping Insights, Sea Freight News, and Supply Chain Solutions. Be sure to follow us online, especially on LinkedIn, and stay tuned for our next episode. 